We're going to invite you to take uh, and turn with me today to Matthew chapter 9. Matthew chapter 9. The season that we're in has been a complex, difficult season. The season that we've just come through has been challenging. It's been, it's been difficult. It's, it, it would, some have, would say it's been brutal on our faith. Questions have been raised about everything. Doubts have been many. Disappointments have counted as legion. And feeling that we have no control over our circumstances has been a constant over these last two years. So I've been aware that in many places and in many individuals, our faith in Jesus has been damaged and in some cases, severely. Where are you, Jesus? is a question that I've heard more than once. Why have you not answered my prayer? Why have you not done something to help us? I feel like it's just me out here all alone trying to cope with all of this. However, on the other side of that coin is that faith has never been more needed than it is right now. We, we have so many people that are in need of healing. We have so many important projects in front of us. We have so many prodigals, so many people needing to find Jesus, so very many important challenges that need to be conquered. We, we, we want to, we need to believe that with God, nothing is impossible. We can't allow ourselves to get stuck in unbelief and in doubt. So, this morning, right off the bat, I want to ask a very personal question. At what level is your faith today? What is the level of your trust in God? Do you believe that God is able to do exceedingly abundantly more than you can ask or think? Are you at the place where you can speak to mountains and see them moved? Let let me get even more personal. Do you think, do you speak, do you act, do you live as though your complete confidence is well-placed and is placed fully in God? I, I, I don't want you to feel condemned or accused if your faith is at maybe a low or the lowest ebb right now. There are situations that tend to steal strength from our faith. Situations where we've prayed for an answer and it seems that no answer has come and and maybe the problem has seemed to not only get big but has grown bigger than it was before. There are times when a, a problem is so huge, so daunting that it doesn't appear that we can possibly believe, possibly ask or hope for any kind of resolution. This is something we're just gonna have to get used to and live with. What about the situation where where we've done everything we know how to do, but still nothing has changed, nothing has gotten better? The occasions when so much has gone wrong, so much has been lost, so much has been damaged, that we're barely holding on. We're just hoping that we can survive, never mind believing for a breakthrough. The purpose of this message is is to get us to refocus on the reason, the the strength of our faith. 
The, the, the purpose of this message is to move our attention off the circumstance and move our hope, our trust, our dependence to Jesus. The Sermon on the Mount, Jesus speaks to a mindset that was prevalent. The Pharisees didn't know how to live by faith. The question was always being refocused and asked on the temporal, the problems of the moment. If we choose to follow Jesus, if we focus on him, how do we care for the necessaries of our life? Who will get us food and who will clothe us and who will look after our shelter? And Jesus says that you don't understand the ways of God. You don't understand how he has set up this whole creation. He, God, God makes sure that the birds of the fields are fed. That, that they don't plant, they don't harvest, they don't store food in barns. But God makes sure your heavenly Father feeds them. Aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? And, and, and take a look at the flowers of the fields. And, and why worry about your clothing? Look at the, the lilies and how they grow. They, they don't work or make clothing, yet Solomon in all his glory was not dressed as beautifully as they are. And if God cares so wonderfully for, for wildflowers that are here today and are thrown into the fire tomorrow, won't he certainly look after you? So don't worry, Jesus says, about these things, saying, what will we eat? What will we drink? What will we wear? These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. But your heavenly Father already knows all of your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. Then comes the question, the question that we're all faced with today. If, if, if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire, he will certainly care for you. And then the question, why do you have such little faith? Knowing God's power, knowing God's ability, understanding his heart and his desire to care for you, why do you not believe that he will do what he has said he would do. I, I was reading through Matthew's gospel in preparation for Easter, and, and I got caught in chapter 9. And we all know that Hebrews 11 is called the faith chapter, but Matthew chapter 9 could, could very well be called a chapter of faith. There's a lot of insight. There's a lot of instruction. There's, there's a lot of information about faith in Matthew chapter 9 shown throughout the testimonies that are given. Jesus returns to the region of the country where he was raised as a boy. And, and when he arrives, there are four men that come carrying a paralyzed man on a mat to Jesus. It was their understanding that if they could just get Jesus to see, if they could just get this man in front of, of Jesus, that he would rectify the difficulty. He would heal the man of the affliction. Other gospels tell us that when they arrived, Jesus was already deeply buried into the house and that the house was filled beyond capacity and, and they couldn't budge into the house and they couldn't get Jesus to come out to see their friend. So they think they will not be stopped. They, they get this paralyzed man up onto the roof, 
Okay, it's a big deal to carry a man a distance, but now they're going to get him up on the roof. Okay, four of you just now volunteered to get Dan up on the roof. Okay, it's a big deal. And when they get up on the roof, they start to peel back the, the, the tiles that cover the house and, and, and they lower, they rig a rope and a pulley system to, to lower the man that cannot move. They lower him down right in front of Jesus. And the comment that Jesus makes is not geared toward the man who's on the mat needing to be healed, but, but Jesus is impressed by these four friends that have brought the man to Jesus. He, he, they, he turns to them and says, you men are unstoppable. You, you refuse to allow circumstances or time, crowds or difficulties to stand in the way of you getting your friend to what he needs. And it says they're seeing the faith of the four men that had carried the paralyzed man on the mat to Jesus. He speaks to the paralyzed man. Be encouraged. Your life is about to, to be changed forever. In fact, right now, I speak to the situation that got you into this place of weakness and dependence, and I say your sins are forgiven. There's no mention of a faith that's found in the man who's received the miracle. The, the, the faith that will bring healing to the paralyzed man, the determination to get him the help that is found in the four men who fight to get him to Jesus. Jesus sees that faith and he responds. You can now stand up. You can now go home. And the man jumps up, grabs his mat, and he heads out of the house. There's, there's so much in that story. And the next story is just as impressive. There's a man who works as a religious leader in the synagogue, and he comes to Jesus out of desperation. When we read the other Gospels, we understand that when he was on the way to find Jesus, his 12-year-old daughter is at home so sick that she could die at any moment. I put my, myself in that place and imagine what kind of desperation, what kind of, of emotions I would be feeling. While he's standing there waiting for Jesus to turn to him, word gets to him that his 12-year-old daughter is dead. She's, she's died in his absence. As he's waiting to speak to Jesus, his, his grief must be overwhelming. But the narrative reads that when he gets to Jesus, he kneels down before him and speaks these words that are so full of faith. My, my daughter has just died. But you, you can bring her back to life again if you just come and lay your hand on her. That, that's a pretty bold statement. That, that's a courageous demand. This, this situation will turn around dramatically if you will come and touch her with that life that you possess. And, and Jesus responds to that faith. And it says that the disciples get up with Jesus and they head toward the house where the girl has died. And as they're getting ready to go to that house, 
The crowd is following and is pushing in as close as possible to watch and see and be able to, to witness all that's going to happen. But in that crowd, there's, there's a lady who has suffered so much for so long. It says that she's been constantly hemorrhaging blood for, for 12 years. Mark gives us a bit more information and detail than Matthew does. A, a woman in the crowd that suffered for 12 years with, with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors. And, and over the years, she had spent everything she had to pay them. But she had not gotten any better. In fact, she'd gotten worse. And, and she heard from, she heard about Jesus. And so she came up from behind him through the crowd wanting to touch his robe. And, and one of the, 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 um, the translations says hem of his garment. Another one says the, the tassel the, that, that hangs off of his garment as a prayer garment. She, she just touches the tassel. And, and she touched his robe and she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. And immediately, she touched and the bleeding stopped and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. And she'd heard about Jesus and so she came to where he was and thought, if I can just, if I can just get close enough, he doesn't have to talk to me, he doesn't have to deal with me, he doesn't even have to pay attention to me. It would have been easy for her to give up and just to stay at home and to allow the condition of her life to to bring her to the end of life. She had suffered so much for so long and everything she had found had been of no use, no help, no relief. But despite all of that, she had faith that if she could get to Jesus, things would be different. In this jostling crowd, people bump and push and fall into you, but this, this was different. Jesus, Jesus knew that something had gone out of him. Something had been released from him. And, and he could discern that the touch had been accompanied by faith. And he turns around and speaks life. He speaks power and assurance to this woman. Daughter, you can be full of courage. Your faith has made you well. And, and as a result of that miracle at that moment, the, the, the report is that the woman was healed and her faith has made her whole. But then the story goes back to the story of the 12-year-old who's just died at home. Middle East morning isn't anything like anything we've experienced here. It's loud. It, it involves a crowd who come to make sure that the neighborhood knows that loss has occurred at your house. Be careful. Be aware that this family has suffered a loss. Death has visited. Be, be respectful of the tragedy that has come to this home. There are not the words of the father. This is what, what the mourners are saying. The father had said, I know that if you just come to my house, that my daughter who is dead will be brought back to life. It was the unbelievers who, who had seen it all before. The people who had and were professional in their mourning. The, the final act before the grave. The, we arrive when there's no hope. We come to sing the final song and carry that one out to, 
to their final resting place. And Jesus arrives and he quiets them all down and he requires and requests that they all leave the room. Get, get out, leave. The girl is not, a, is not dead. She's just asleep. And the crowd laughs at him because they'd been there before. They read the signs. They, they knew that she was dead. There was no pulse. Her body was, was quickly cooling down. And, and Jesus was making a, a prophetic statement. Death lasts forever, but she will wake up in a matter of moments. And Jesus went in and, she, and he takes the girl by the hand and she stood up. And, and, and the report of the miracle sweeps through the entire countryside. And, and, and Jesus responds to faith. He loves to find faith. He, he answers faith. And so with that information, how is your faith? In, in what state is your faith today? The group travels out of that home and is coming to the end of a day and, and heads towards a, a home where they'll stay overnight. Two blind men have heard what's happened in that house to that 12-year-old and and they have their own difficulties. They have their own problems. And so they follow the entourage that Jesus is leading. And they make a large palaver. They're crying out, Jesus of Nazareth, don't leave us. Don't, don't walk away from us. We, we need you. Have mercy on us. Again, they would not be denied the help that they need. They, they follow Jesus all the way to the home where he's going to spend the night. All the way into that home, it says. They weren't invited, they just pushed their way in. We will not be pushed away. We, we know you can help us, we won't be turned away. And Jesus stands in front of these two men and asks one question, the same question that I've asked you this morning. Do you believe, Jesus says, that I can make you see? And the men answer, yes, Lord, we most certainly do. We know what you did in the last house. We've already heard about the woman who had the issue of blood. We, we believe, we believe, help us. And then he touched their eyes and said, he said this, because of your faith, it will happen. Faith unlocks doors. Faith opens up the impossible. Faith pushes us through things that couldn't ever happen in the natural. Because of your faith, it will happen. And then their eyes were open and they could see. Because of your faith. Here's the question again. In what state is your faith today? I, I've... I've now copied out verses 35 and 36 of this chapter 9 and, and I've put them in several places so that the Word of God can confront and destroy every bit of unbelief, every bit of doubt that is found in me. The words are these. Jesus traveled through all the towns and the villages of the area, teaching in the synagogues and announcing the good news about the kingdom. And he healed every kind of disease and illness. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion on them because they were confused and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. My shepherd heart loves that and, and my, shepherd voice, my, my shepherd call says, this is now my normal. 
This is now my normal. This is where I want to be. This is where I want to live. If Jesus did it, it's part of my legacy. It's part of all the authority in heaven and earth that's been given to me by my Savior. I'll not settle for less. I can't settle for less. I recognize that a message like this can come off as a, as a very slippery kind of thing to people who are in desperate situations right now. That I can sound like I don't understand, like I'm not empathetic, like I'm not sympathetic to people who are going through all sorts of difficulties and heartbreak right now. But I, I want you to understand that who I am and what I do puts me in the center of need and desperation all the time. I, I'm not the one who only holds and prays blessing over newborn babies, but I stand in hospital rooms. I go to funeral homes. I go to funerals that happen all too soon. You need to know I hate cancer. I've done a great number of funerals. Many of those funerals have happened too soon, and I despise the cruelty of depression. I, I know what grief and loss does to a child's heart. I, I've stood and wrestled with the why questions on my own and in the midst of people that I love and care for as they try to figure out what has happened and why has it happened. I, I've been in the room when, when people that I care about have been told that they should get their affairs in order quickly because there's not much time. I'm not a stranger to the thieves that attempt to steal and kill faith. I've been there. But still, 43 years into this ministry life, I stand here on a Sunday morning and I preach that faith in God is the only way out. It's the only way out. By sheer stubborn determination, I stand in this pulpit this morning and declare, have faith in God. Blessed are they who put their trust in God, for they will never be ashamed or embarrassed. I know that, that such a statement divides a crowd in two. There, there are those who are in a good place right now where, where nothing particularly difficult is facing you, and you've got hope, and you've got faith, and, and things are good. However, there are those who are in, in this place this morning, and pain is constant, and mobility is an issue, and sight is diminishing, and life is slipping away, and discouragement is gaining ground, doubt is strong and getting stronger. And when I am there, I have to go to these two questions that Jesus asked. I have to answer them for myself. I have to wrestle them through. The first question is this. Why have you such a little bit of faith? What is it that's killing your faith? What made you move to a different position, a different stance other than faith? Was it fear? Is it a long list of disappointments, worry, past experience, doubts and questions that even God cares about you? I, I need to say this very clearly. Anything that God gives to us, anything that is of value, anything that has kingdom importance tied to it is going to need to be fought for. It's going to need to be fought for. Faith is, is such a powerful and valuable commodity in our lives that the enemy of our soul will pour any toxic solution on it that he can just to destroy it. 
What is diminishing? What is destroying your faith? What do you need to do to recover your faith? Recently, I discovered a lie that was in my life and was posing as a truth. There was an area that I thought was just normal because of who I am and how I'm built. I thought that I couldn't expect God to to help me with the doubt that I held about my own abilities. You can't do that, Bill. Why would you ever think that that was a possibility for you? This is a flaw in your personality and, and you will do what you can, but you will always be vulnerable in this area. That was the mindset that I had adopted because of years of experience, years of disappointment, years of falling short. And then one morning, just recently, I was reading through Philippians and these words hit that mindset like a cannonball. I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. I I repented of the lie that was posing as the truth and filled the hole that was left by that cannonball coming, flying through my life with faith. With with the truth that comes from God. What what mindset do you need to repent of? What, What fear do you need to let go of? What hurt do you need to be healed from? What toxic experience is shrinking, stealing, destroying your faith? But but this is even a more difficult question to wrestle to the ground. The second question that Jesus asks. Why do you doubt me? Why do you doubt me? Jesus is not speaking to some ancient Pharisee in the city of Jerusalem 2,000 years ago. He's speaking to my heart. He's speaking to your heart right here, right now. What is it that makes you see me in a light that convinces you that I'm different than what I've told you I am? If I have told you that I am the good shepherd, Why do you believe that I'm a a, a neglectful, absentee caregiver? If I've said that I will supply all your needs according to the riches that are found in Christ Jesus, why do you think that you will have to find a different way of looking after the needs that are in front of you? If I've declared that I'm your healer, what, what causes you to believe that to be untrue? That, that pain, sickness, and weakness is it acceptable, inevitable, and something I have to come to peace with. Faith is the marriage of understanding and of trust. Let, let, let me explain. In, in salvation, we understand from Romans chapter 10, verse 9, that if you confess with your mouth... If you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. You understand that Jesus is the only way to salvation. That that his death, his resurrection is the only way to please God on the sin question. 
If you understand that and then declare with your mouth that you trust that statement to be true, that work to be good enough to reach and change you, then you will be saved. I understand that Jesus is the only Savior that the world has. There's no other name given to men by which we can be saved. I know, I understand that. And so now I declare that I trust that to be true for me. I accept that to be that Jesus is my Savior. I surrender myself to His Lordship. I accept the truth about who He is. I trust Him to bring salvation to me. As a result, I am saved. Doesn't matter what I feel. Doesn't matter what I experience. This is my adoption paper. It's signed, sealed, delivered. I am His. He is mine. Settled. So what does that say about my healing? What does he say about the prodigals that I'm praying for? What does he promise to do about my finances? What has he said he will do about my fears? What is he wanting to do with my enemies? I need to fight my way through the toxic cocktail that tries to diminish my faith so that it can be done away with. I have to discover what God has said and bring it to my situation and believe it, speak it over my trouble until I see faith growing, till I see faith rising and triumphing over over the things that oppose me. I, I understand you are who you say you are. I trust you to do what you say you will do. It will be like a well-watered, I will be like a well-watered tree that is parked beside a great river that will not be moved because I trust in you. My focus will be on you. My confession will be that you supply every one of my needs. There are practices. There are disciplines that that increase faith's strength in our lives. Faith grows as we immerse ourselves in this book. Faith comes by hearing. And that is hearing the good news about Jesus Christ, letting it drown out fear, letting it drown out doubt and unbelief. 1 Peter 2, verse 2, like newborn babies, you must crave spiritual milk, pure spiritual milk, so that you will grow into the full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment now that you have had a taste of the Lord's kindness. Stay in constant Vital relationship with the Holy Spirit. Jesus says in in John chapter 14, He is the Holy Spirit who leads you into all truth. The world cannot receive Him because it isn't looking for Him and doesn't recognize Him. But you know Him because He lives in you now and will later live in you all of the time. In writing to the Colossians, Paul says, And now, Just as you accepted Christ Jesus as your Lord, you must continue to follow Him. Let your roots grow down into Him. Let your lives be built on Him. Then your faith will grow strong in the truth you were taught and you will overflow with thankfulness. Fight through the troubles. Fight through the adventures that are in front of you with determination. Matthew chapter 7, 7. Keep on asking. You will be, keep on asking, you will receive what you ask for. Keep on seeking, and you will receive. Everyone who seeks finds, it's guaranteed. And everyone who knocks on the door, it will be opened. I I want you, I want to be so clear, so open, so honest with you. These two realities are in my world all the time. 
Like you, I have more questions than I have answers. You just need to know that. I have way more questions than I have answers. And like you, I find myself suggesting to God how he should do his work all the time. God, if you just did this to that person, that would result in something happening over here and it would just be massive breakout of revival. God, you should do it my way. I think it's brilliant. Like you, I have a history. Like you, I, I have friends that I've prayed for that haven't been healed, circumstances that have occurred that haven't been altered, spiritual hopes and aspirations that haven't been reached or attained. If, if the whys and whens are wrestled through all the time, if, if I'm constantly saying, where are you? Those questions tend to, to diminish my faith if I put the emphasis there. They take me further away from Jesus rather than closer. That, that's the state of my natural mind. That's the, that's the curiosity that I have in me most of the time. However, the other reality is that I live on the promises of God. The revelation of who Jesus is and all that he's able to do. The promises that he will do more than I expect, ask, or imagination. I, I love this, this statement in Ephesians. Never doubt God's mighty power to work in you and accomplish all of this. He will achieve infinitely more than your greatest request, your most unbelievable dream, and exceed your wildest imagination. He will outdo them all for his miraculous power constantly energizes us. I need that because sometimes weariness comes and that kills faith too. That is who he said he is. I, I choose to believe it. I choose to live according to that revelation of truth. I do believe that this is, this will be a house of healing. I do believe that there will be incredible stories of deliverance and provision in this people. I do believe that we are walking into a season of signs, wonders, and miracles. I do believe that we're going to see some of the most unlikely people come through the doors and accept Jesus as Lord and Savior. I do believe that prodigals, even though they don't understand it, are starting even today to start to return to family. I do believe that in an atmosphere that is charged with worship and love and life, that cancers will just fall off in the middle of worship, that pain will disappear, that relationships will be restored, that the world will know that Jesus is alive and real and doing amazing things here in our lives and wherever we go. I believe that. I believe it with all my heart. Those are things that I work on, that I declare all the time. I don't spend a lot of time on the why, the when, the where questions. I, I got help from the psalmist on this to keep my focus sharp and centered. I make my declarations out of this book. Out of this book, I know that there's power in my words. I believe that my mouth has the ability to speak either life or death, and I choose to speak life. If I speak death, I diminish my faith. So I confess the life of God, the, that faith comes alive. There's a confession that, that this changing my perspective these days. It comes out of Psalm 91 too. And I've been repeating it over and over and over again. It's this I declare about the Lord. He alone is my refuge. My place of safety. He is my God. And I trust Him. 
I start repeating that even when I don't see my refuge, even when I don't feel my refuge, even when I don't feel that safe. I, I declare it many times a day and it started to affect my mind in the way that it perceives things. But then, after a while, it sunk down into my heart and it, it affected the way I hold my values, the way I think of Jesus and His commitment to me. I, I approached situations differently. Worship team, come, please. However, as I've carried on confessing that out loud, it's getting into my spirit. And now I'm seeing everything differently. I, I, I'm not seeing and focusing on the trouble in front of me. I'm seeing how good, how powerful, how loving my refuge is. How he's there even when I didn't realize he was there. That he was at work even when I didn't see him working. I, I'm fearing less. I'm trusting more. I'm standing firm and moving forward. Not being pushed backwards. I'm, I'm starting to say See, that when he says, he is my God, I need nothing more. That's all I need. As that happens, as that grows, faith increases. And when faith increases, you start to look at the whole world differently. You start to understand something of the heartbeat of God. You don't look at at Putin as a horrible dictator, you think, Jesus, you love him. If you could reach Paul, you can reach Putin. God, right now, touch him. Touch his heart. You start to see things differently. I'm fearing less. I'm trusting more. I'm starting to see that when, when he walks into the room, anything can happen. As that happens, my faith increases. What are you going to do with these two questions that Jesus asks? You can be mad at me, but it's Jesus asking them, just so you know. Do, do we leave them here and walk away, or do we wrestle them to the ground until we have a revelation that will bolster faith and kill doubt and unbelief? The choice is yours. I know your situation. You, you, need, you need God to work some miracles in your life. I know that. Yeah, I pray for you. I, I know that. But we're going to have to wrestle these questions. The results will determine our destination. I want you to stand. I, I felt all through the night, I, I was wrestling with how to sort of tie this thing up and and in a minute, we're going we're gonna to have an altar call, and I want to pray over you. But I was very aware through the night that the, the second question has such deep meaning. Why don't you trust me? Why don't you trust me? And, and I know that through this past couple of years, there's just been a gnawing away at at our faith and our trust in, in Jesus. And so I'm going to take Isaiah chapter 43 and I'm going to read it out and I'm going to conquer some fears today. I, I, I'm going to prove who Jesus is in your life. He's speaking to you. He would call you by name 
But now, God's message, the God who made you in the first place, the one who got you started, don't be afraid, for I have redeemed you. I've called your name. You're mine. When you're in over your head, I'll be there with you. When you go through rough waters, you will not go down to drown. When you're between a rock and a hard place, it won't be a dead end because I am your God, your personal God, your Savior. I paid a huge price for you. That's how much you mean to me. That's how much I love you. I'd sell off the whole world to get you back. I'd trade creation just for you. So don't be afraid I'm with you. I'm with you. I'm with you, he says, over and over and over again. I know that our faith has taken a beating, but it's time to step up. It's time to say, God, show me the places, show show me the toxic cocktails that are being poured over my faith that's destroying. Help me trust in you. Help me to understand who you are and trust in you. I'm going to open these altars.